My name is Justin Craig. I am the executive minister here at Windsor Road, and uh, I'm just excited to be up here, uh, be able to share what God has placed on my heart this week through uh, studying of his scripture. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. This is a familiar parable that Jesus speaks life through, uh, and I am excited to just dive into this this morning. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to start right in verse 1 because that's a good place to start. This is what God's Word says. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost Sheep, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the parable of the lost sheep. Earlier this summer, my family and I, we got to go on vacation, uh, and like everybody else on the planet, we were really excited to do that, because last year, just, you, we just won't talk about that. You guys know what we're talking about. You guys got the Cliff Notes version of last year. It was great. And so we were excited to go on vacation. We decided to stay a little close to home, so we went up to Lake Michigan, Michigan side. We rented a house. That sounds fancy. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, it was, it was adequate, but like renting a house on Lake Michigan sounds like we're overlooking. No, no, no. There were a lot of trees and cars and highways in between us and the beach, uh, but it was great. It was wonderful. And, and we, uh, if you know a better route to get to Lake Michigan from here, I would love to speak with you after the survey. Like, that's not a joke because this is where we're heading this morning, right? So we, we decide there's, there's a couple of routes we could take to get to the Michigan side of Lake Michigan. You could go up 57 and hit Chicagoland. We wanted to avoid that at all costs. And so you could travel 74 across and then take I-65 up, but that again kind of winds back towards Chicago. And it's like, well, that's kind of out of the way. We don't really want to go there. So we started to open up an atlas. An atlas is something that, I heard an amen, that was good. An atlas is something that tells you where roads are before your phone does. I mean, it was amazing. And so it was just really cool. It didn't feel like anybody was watching us as we were driving. Uh, but we opened up our atlas. <laughs> this is already ridiculous. Uh, and there's no clock back there, so good luck to all of you. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> So we, we open up our atlas and we find that there's a highway that looks like it connects 57 to 65. 
and it, it's, it's like Highway 116. Uh, just, ain't, somebody's got to know where that is. I'm sure we have a farmer here that's like, I know exactly where that is. Uh, and so we go up, we get off on this exit, and we start heading east. We're like, well, east, we're eventually going to get to I-65. It'll be fine. And so we get off, and there is a train that is stopped less than a mile off of the interstate. And this train is not in an urgent path. Like, it is, it's there for the long haul. And so we turn around, and we start heading back towards the interstate. There's got to be more than a highway that gets from here to there. So we get off on another exit, and, and we start taking this highway. And this highway, guess what? Road construction. Why? Because they couldn't do that last year when there wasn't anybody traveling. Should have had a V8. And uh, so we, we get there, and there, there's like this road construction. So it's like, oh, let's get out Siri. Let's ask Siri, right? She's like the current phone-a-friend that's in your pocket all the time. So we ask Siri, all right, where, where do we go? And she goes, turn right here. Travel on the road for 3.3 miles. And so it's like, thank you. So we turn right, and then, then we turn left. We keep following her instructions, you know, turn left. Stay on this road for 5.5 miles. And it's like, thank you so much, Siri. You're so helpful. But then we decide that we're kind of going off on these weird roads. And so it's like, let's get on one and just head east. So now Siri, I don't know if you've ever had this, uh, Siri got a little angry with us. Um, and I'm not crazy. She'll be in here second service, so she can attest to this. But Stephanie, my wife, is sitting next to me. She's like, did Siri just get angry? Like, so, so it's, you know, from turn right here, go 5.5 miles. It's turn around. And I'm like, well, you got a little sassy there, didn't you? Like, that's not okay. Like, you're here to serve us. Like, come on. And she's like, turn around, go back 5.5 miles. And I'm like, well, that gets us back to the interstate. That's no good. So we stay on this road and this road turns into a rougher road. And it looks like there's only a path here because tractors are taking this space. And the rough road now turns into a gravel road. And then no more than a few seconds, we're on the gravel road and someone in our van goes, at least it's not dirt. Guess what's next? <laughs> we got a big old dirt road in front of us. <laughs> Stephanie and I are laughing. Lucy's in the backseat going, there's mud all over the back of our white van. And I'm just going, I think we might be lost. <laughs> um, so we get out on, we find a, a paved road up ahead, and then we decide maybe we should listen to Siri after all. Maybe she knows what she's talking about. This, this turned from a vacation to a quest to stay alive at this point. Um, but if we all had an opportunity, I'm sure between our 1996 State Farm Atlas, our 2003 printed out MapQuest directions, or Siri, we could all have a story about being physically lost, right? Can we not? We all have a story about, man, this one time we got turned around in, on Madison. It's like, where are we going? No, I'm just kidding, because it's a grid. It's pretty easy to get around. But we all have stories of being physically lost. But let me tell you something. It is more detrimental to be spiritually lost than physically lost. Amen. You see, because when we become spiritually lost, we have this, this feeling of being physically lost or this feeling of being emotionally lost or the feeling of being mentally lost. Being spiritually lost is much, much worse than being physically lost. Now, before we dive too deep into our passage this morning, I want us to all walk forward with the same understanding of being lost. 
The word that Jesus uses here means to lose something that we already have possessed or to be separated from a natural connection. It's going to be important for us to understand that just as there are lost people in our world still living their pre-Jesus life, there is a little bit of loss that lives inside each of us. So as we talk this morning, we're not talking about everybody out there. We're talking about everybody in here. There's a reason Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 through 23 says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You see, just because we were found once doesn't mean that we don't need to be found again and again and again day after day. The reason God's mercies are new every morning is because we have a little bit of loss that lives inside of us, that takes up residence in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions, in our words. Jesus is talking to an audience here of tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees and scribes. They don't know they're sinners, so just... We are all a little bit lost, lost in our sin, lost in our busyness, lost in our distractions, lost in our career, lost in our family. We become lost in the rules like the Pharisees and scribes. We become lost in the wind and the waves of life just like Peter did. We become lost in our doubts like Thomas. We become lost in our fears like the rest of the disciples. We become lost when we choose to separate ourselves from Christ. And this parable, this parable is about the shepherd's relationship with his sheep. And to spoil any surprise, the role of the shepherd will be played by Jesus tonight. See, he defines himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the protection and restoration of his sheep. So this parable tells us three timeless truths and life-changing truths about the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. So here's the big idea. Here's where we're going. Jesus pursues and rescues the lost. Jesus pursues and rescues the lost. The first timeless truth is this, that the lost matter. The lost matter. And because a little bit of that lives in us, you matter. I matter. We matter. Verses 1 and 2, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the Pharisees were upset at Jesus, who was eating with and welcoming sinners at his table. He was associating with these people before they had repented or changed anything about their lives. And in order to understand the significance of Jesus eating with sinners, we must first understand Pharisees a little bit better. The Pharisees were one of two Jewish parties that ruled Israel during the time of Christ. And although the Pharisees accepted the written word of God, which is our Old Testament, they accepted the written word of God as as divine truth, they also gave equal authority to their own rules and regulations known as the tradition of the elders. The rabbinic regulations of the Pharisees forbade them from eating with sinners 
According to them, sinners were Jews who did not adhere to the law of Moses, nor to the additional rules and the traditions of the elders. Sinners included those who lived immoral lifestyles as well as Jewish tax collectors. They were considered sinners as well. They were actually considered traitors because they worked for the Roman government while still having the Jewish heritage. See, for a Pharisee, eating with a tax collector or sinner was to defile oneself, to make them unclean by being in the presence of a sinner. So as Jesus sits down for a meal with the sinners and the tax collectors, they find it appalling that this so-called Messiah, this so-called Son of God would be associated with them. You see, when we sit down for a meal with someone, we're talking about intentional time spent with someone. Intentional time pouring into someone we find value in, someone we care for, someone we want to get to know better. My wife Stephanie has taught me a lot in our married time together. That's not going to come as a surprise to you. But she taught me this really early on, that when someone invites us over for a meal, my first response shouldn't be, cool, will there be wiffle ball, do I need to bring my glove? Like, that should not be my first response, although it is many times. It should be, what can we bring, right? I mean, that, that's the nice thing. Like, the first response should be, what can we bring? Normally, we end up bringing some kind of fruit or veggie tray and instead of oatmeal cream pies, but that's fine. I can work around those obstacles because the meal, the meal is not really about the food. It's about the people we spend it with. Sharing a meal with someone is special. It's an opportunity to grow in a relationship. So when Jesus sits down for a meal with these tax collectors and these sinners, he's essentially telling them they are valuable and that they matter. He's telling them, I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. See, what we know about Jesus' life is that he doesn't waste time. He doesn't kill time. He doesn't fill time. He invests time. He invests time where his father wants him to. So Jesus' simple act of eating with this group is an invitation for them to see themselves as he sees them, as valuable, as important, as though they matter. Here's the thing. Jesus' love for us does not depend on our love for him. Jesus' love for us does not depend on our love for him. Romans 5, 8, Paul says, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of our sin, in the middle of our shame, in the middle of our separation, in the middle of our lostness, Jesus still loves us, and his death and resurrection still count for us. Does he want our love? Absolutely. Did he love us first? 100%. You see, in verse 2, the Pharisees say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus does more than just receives them. He welcomes them. He greets them at his table. The word literally means to receive in a friendly manner. Jesus is showing them that they are valuable. They are important. They are worth the time of the Messiah, and their past does not need to or get to dictate their future. 
Jesus welcomes them before they have welcomed him because Jesus' love for us does not depend on our love for him. He loved us first, and because of his love, we can see the value and importance of the lost. It's timeless truth. Number one is that the lost matter. Number two, the shepherd is always coming. There's a certainty of the search that happens here. Go back to verses three and four. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Jesus opens this parable with a question that would have drawn a positive and, and, and an agreeing response from everyone there. It was common for sheep to wander off and get lost. It was common for a search party to go out because sheep had value, but they were also known as, as pet-like animals. They would name them. It was common for the neighbors to watch the other sheep. It was so common that Jesus would have had the entire group nodding their head in unison. This parable would have related to everyone in the group, whether they'd been a part of a search and rescue or they had simply seen a search and rescue. One thing is for sure, no one in the group would have just left the sheep to defend itself in the wild. And as the parable unfolds, we start to see the certainty of the search. Last Monday, uh, as I was trying to wrap my mind around where I felt like God was leading me, and I came across this parable, and I was out on a walk for probably an hour. And so I read through it as I'm walking, which is dangerous because I'm clumsy. But as I'm reading through it, this, this important note came into my mind that, that spoke a lot to my heart. And I hope, it, I hope it speaks to you. You see, Jesus doesn't spend any time talking about why or how the sheep gets lost. He only talks about why and how the shepherd pursues. How the shepherd follows. How the shepherd searches for the lost sheep. I think sometimes we get a little more wrapped up in how we got lost, not how we got found. One of my favorite books as a kid was Where's Waldo? You guys ever seen these giant books? Uh, we just got one at Salt and Light not too long ago. It was a great little hardcover book for 49 cents. It was like, yes, please keep my husband, you know, keep, keep Justin busy. Uh, it's really all the books in my office are just kids' books at this point. Um, but this book takes you on an adventure to find Waldo, who seems to be really good at blending in wherever he goes. He's kind of like the cartoon version of Jason Bourne. Uh, he just kind of blends in with the crowd around him. And these books would keep me busy for hours during the summer, right? Rainy summer days, these were great entertainment for me. Of course, there were times when I would get frustrated I like to find things really quickly. I like to be right in my first pursuit. I like to just make one pass go, there he is, found him, next page, right? I like to be able to do things well. I like to be able to do things quickly. So when it didn't come quickly, I'd get frustrated. And I think to myself, well, they wouldn't print the book without Waldo being in it, right? Although parents, can I get an amen? That might be a good idea. <laughs> like, hey, we got this new Where's Waldo book. You got to find him. You can't talk until you find him on every page. And he's not there. Like, I mean, maybe I'll, we can call the publisher this week or something. That might be a decent idea. But I would continue to look because I'd, I'd know in my mind that he's there. 
When I couldn't find him, I felt like turning the page. But I'd continue to search for Waldo because I wanted to find him. If we go back and look at verse 4 again, when does the scripture say that the shepherd gives up and turns the page? It doesn't. Let me just save you the time. It doesn't say that he gives up. It doesn't say that. It says, go after the one that is lost until he finds it, until he finds the sheep. The scripture does not say that the shepherd only looks for one day, one week, one month, or even a year and then gives up. No, he looks until the sheep is found. The shepherd's devotion and dedication to this one sheep should convey that the lost matter and that the shepherd will always look. You see, Jesus came as the savior of the world so that lost causes could become found children. Just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 19, we see the end of Zacchaeus' story. Jesus is sitting in his home again, sharing a meal with another tax collector. He has this to say in Luke 19.10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' whole mission is based around finding who is lost and bringing them home. So the lost matter, the shepherd will always search. And number three, there's a celebration of the rescue. Go back to verses five through seven. And when he has found the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Did you notice the lengths that the shepherd goes to for just one sheep? First of all, he notices that the sheep is gone. He notices. Now, if I had a handful of 100 pennies, I might not notice till I get done counting at the end that I'm missing one. The shepherd notices. And then the shepherd goes, and the shepherd searches until he finds it. When he finds the sheep, what's he do? Discipline the sheep? You should never run away from me like that. No, he doesn't do that at all. He picks the sheep up and puts it on his shoulders. This is not a, a space of discipline. This is a space of care, comfort. The sheep would not be attacked by being held onto by a human being. The shepherd then rejoices individually, and then he comes home and throws a huge party. And he says, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And the choice of words here is very, very important. For I have found my sheep that was lost. You see, the shepherd doesn't describe the sheep by the behavior, but by his possession. He doesn't call him the wandering sheep. He doesn't even call him the lost sheep. He says, my sheep. The shepherd doesn't take the behavior of the sheep and label it by the behavior, but he labels it as his. He redefines the sheep from lost sheep to my sheep. And as common as it was for sheep to wander off and become lost, the celebration in the story well, that would have been a foreign concept to the listeners. 
This would have been very rare occasion for the shepherd to come back from his journey and throw a party. Parties were expensive. And while there might be a handshake or a fist bump from shepherd to shepherd, a party would have been very rare. But Jesus emphasizes the party. He emphasizes the celebration. Now, when I think of a party, not only do I think of good food, but I also think of balloons. I think of balloons. Are there balloons? Hey, give it up for Rachel. Good job, Rachel. Very good at carrying the balloons. Thank you. The camera people are not going to like me. Uh, so we're going to set those there so they're not really in the way right now. But when I think of a party, I think of balloons. You should have seen the lady at Dollar Tree yesterday wondering what I was getting balloons for. I said my sermon, and she goes, what? Uh, come on out, 9, 10, 45. Come on out. We'd love to have you. I think of balloons. Now, when we have graduation parties or, or birthday parties at a house, what do we do? We go out time on the, on the mailbox, right? We got to know whose house is whose. And so we have these balloons, right? Balloons indicate celebration to me. If there's an anniversary party out at Homer Lake or out at Allerton, right? We might, we might tie some balloons near our car or near, near on our cooler so that people know, right? Because balloons indicate a celebration. They indicate a party. See, Jesus takes this normal story and adds a piece of heaven to it. By describing heaven's reaction to the return and repentance of one sinner. Jesus describes a rejoicing, joy-filled party that welcomes every person back home. You see, when one sheep returns, the balloons come out because it's a celebration. See, Jesus rescues, redeems, and restores because he loves us. Because he loves us. He loves us when we're lost. He loves us when we sin. He loves us when we're distracted. He loves us when we're too busy. He loves us when our Bible gets dusty. He loves us through our lies, through our doubts, through our fears. He loves us through our accomplishments and our failures. Jesus rescues and redeems and restores because he loves us. He loves you. He values us. He searches for us until he finds us, and then he rejoices at our coming home. You see, the same Jesus that spoke to the storm is speaking to you. The same Jesus who nurtured the woman at the well is the same Jesus that wants to nurture your heart. The same Jesus that does not condemn the woman caught in adultery is the same Jesus that does not condemn us. The same Jesus who was beaten and killed and buried and rose again is the same Jesus that is calling us to rise again and be found children, to be his found sheep. So my question for us this morning is, have you been found? And I don't mean once when you were eight and you were baptized, but have you been found this morning? New morning mercies aren't here for, 
our taking, but our new morning mercies are here because of our faults and our failures. Have you been found? Is it time to stop wandering and start wondering what life would be like with Christ? Really with Christ? Is it time to be found by him? You see, Jesus pursues and rescues the lost. He is pursuing us right here, right now. It's time to let him rescue us. To rescue us from ourselves, to rescue us from our sin. To rescue us from the sin that separates us from him. To rescue us from the sin that shames us. To rescue us from the sin that distracts us from God's glory. It's time that we allow Jesus to put us on his shoulders. To carry us home. And see the biggest celebration that heaven's ever had. Because when one sheep comes home. The balloons come out. I'm trying to decide the way to end this. Um, I have a couple of avenues I could go. I think this one might mean more. Um, boy, I just felt attacked this week. This isn't even in my notes, so I'm done with those. Um, I felt attacked this week. To be really honest with you guys, I, I felt attacked. Not by an individual, not by anybody in our congregation, not by anybody on staff but by the destructive thoughts that enter into my mind this week. I've been dealing with a little bit of a sore throat because of the changes in the weather, and it's really hot and it's dry. And I'm like, well, my throat, I'm going to need that to speak on Sunday. It was a really busy week. If you missed Friday Night Fellowship, man, that was, that was awesome. You guys missed out. I was dancing. Uh, it was rough. Um, it's on Facebook. Thank you, Miss Karen. Oh, boy. Gonna have eight million views this afternoon. <laughs> it's a busy week. My throat was bothersome. This week just felt like things just kept piling up and piling up. I got back from a men's ministry outing yesterday, and I stayed here and I worked through my message, and I felt like it was terrible. I came home to Stephanie. I said, "I don't know what I'm doing. Like I shouldn't be allowed to talk in front of people. This is bad." And I had these thoughts that were running through my mind. They weren't kind. They weren't true. They weren't helpful. And I felt attacked. And this morning, whoo, I'm going to try and get through this. This morning as I got here, I had a kind word from uh, Christine Decker. I had uh, a kind word from Kevin Jackson. I had a text from both Randy and Sarah. I had a text from my mom telling me that they were excited to listen to the message this morning. And as we're singing, as we're worshiping, it just reminded me that God works through our sin and our inadequacies to project his glory. And I don't know where all those voices came through last night. My, my wife prayed over me before she went to bed, and I kept typing. This morning, my girls came upstairs, and my eight-year-old prayed that I would be courageous and brave. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it's because the shepherd continues to search for us. 
when my path took me on a wandering space this week, the shepherd continued to pursue because that's what he does. Because when one sheep comes home, the balloons come out. And so while I got these yesterday, I feel like they're mine. Maybe it's your turn to come home too.